The Bright Horizons Parenting Podcast, just for ages zero to eight. Get the advice you need from our own early childhood experts, Rachel Robertson and Claire Goss, and make the most out of every chance to teach play and love. You've been calling with your parenting questions, and Rachel and Claire have answers. In our first episode of Listener Questions, Rachel and Claire hear from three families whose children are tackling a variety of struggles around big emotions. Listen in to find out if your question was answered and how you can support your children through those big emotional moments in life. Hi, Claire. How are you doing today? Hey, Rachel. I'm great, and I'm really excited for today. Me too. This is a big deal for us. I've been I've been telling friends and family that our podcast has gone to a new level. I've said like we have a call in number and then a, and an email before the modern <laughs> the modern folks. But that's exciting that we have a call in number and we actually have some messages from our voicemail. We're gonna yeah, address people those have been, people have been calling in and leaving us questions. And we have the opportunity and the time today to answer some of them. But first, Rachel and I just really wanted to thank everyone who called in. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for being so vulnerable and being so candid with what's going on mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. your kids and your parenting right now. Um, we we did get a, a really nice, um, broad group of submissions. We had to pick only a few for today, but we will have more episodes coming. So the few that we picked today tackle a theme a theme of helping kids with big, big feelings and emotions and, and kind of the fallout of what happens when kids have those big emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I was listening to the messages, one of the things I was reminded of is how much parenting is like an endurance sport. And there are times you're going to trip and fall or something's going to be difficult. And that does not mean you should give up on the marathon. It is not sprinting. It is not fast. It's not for the weak. It takes a lot of fortitude and willingness to, adjust and realize you've made a mistake and you're going to do something different, but that's a good thing is you get to adjust like a, like an endurance sport. You get to, you know, if you're in a marathon, you get to stop for Gatorade and take a breath. If that's what you need, you get to change out your shoes if that's what you need. And especially (laughs) with these big emotions, like it gets hard. I mean, I was just, I have older kids as anyone who listens knows. And I remember clearly times when they were younger that it was challenging, but it's still sometimes challenging now and their emotions get the best of my emotions. Sometimes it's not, you can know as much as you want about brain development. Emotions still trip you up. Yeah, that's right. And it's, they don't know what they don't know. And that goes with taking their first steps and having their first words. They also don't know how to manage these big feelings yet. So we have the opportunity to model for them and teach them, but Remembering first that when they have these big feelings, our little, our little littles, our, our babies, our toddlers, our preschoolers, it can be really scary for them. It's really stressful. And we have to figure out, um, they, they're all at different levels of emotional sophistication, cognitive sophistication. That brain is in deep development those first five yeah. years. We know this. Yeah. This is science. Um, so they are learning. They are building the architecture of their brain in front of us. And that includes... How do I react emotionally to things? How do I control my impulses? How do I react appropriately? I mean, I still struggle with this. So it's no wonder that we do. Yeah, it is. It is so sophisticated. 
to be able to recognize your emotions and then regulate your emotions. And those little brains are being developed and they're building that neural circuitry and it's going to misfire. Like they might use the wrong emotion for the wrong situations, but guess what? So do adults sometimes. So we all, we have this kind of funny approach to children where we expect too little of them or too much of them very frequently. (laughs) And like knowing how to like cope with a big emotion is hard. It's not like they can go, well, last time I dealt with this, you know, it turned out fine. They don't have a last time. And Mm -hmm. if they did have a last time, they maybe can't even remember that last time. So we have to help them with it. I think um, just, just pause families, parents, whoever's listening to this and think about the last time you had a big emotion and just what it felt like. What did you feel like? Did you, were you really rational and be like, you know what, I'm feeling real frustrated right now. I'm gonna sit myself down and take a few deep breaths. You probably, if you did, kudos to you, but you probably (laughs) didn't start with that. I mean, you maybe got there, but you probably started with a rush of emotions. And that is a part of your brain that is taking over. And that is the that is a pretty strong part of a little kid's brain. They don't have the yeah. regulatory uh, that part of your brain that regulates things. That it takes for a long time, decades, to really develop. Yeah. And they don't really have that. We have that. Adults have that, and we still struggle with it. So think about what your inner monologue. What were you saying to yourself? What were you saying about the other person involved or the situation involved? What behavior did you have? Just just mm-hmm. think about that and think that we're often expecting our kids to do better than us in those big emotional situations. And I'll okay, give you two okay. couple examples. If, if the, I use these a lot in training, Claire, you've probably heard me say these before, but think of yourself in traffic, mm-hmm. how it feels when you have somewhere to be and you're stuck in traffic and you don't know why it's happening. Even if it's happened yesterday, even it's rush hour and you beat, you're in it every day. <laughs> still very frustrating and then mm-hmm. someone cuts you off do you, how do you do you how do you think that through how do you, do are you saying oh you know what let me just that person must have a real emergency let me help them out that is a rare thought someone out there might be thinking that that's a rare thought how do you feel what behaviors do you have what were you thinking about that person that did that and my other example that i use a lot is the grocery store um, when you're in a long line and if someone were to say just come swooping and the, the, maybe the person working there just said, I know you've been in this long line for a while and you spent a lot of time picking these things out, but we're just going to ask you to share and let someone else take a turn. <laughs> How many adults are going to go for that? But we expect children to do these things. So we not only expect them to have a more sophisticated regulatory emotional system than we do sometimes, but we also expect them to do things that they're not developmentally ready to do. And that can really burn them out and take a toll and ask for more than they're capable of, which can learn to some lead, excuse me, lead to some of those big emotions that we struggle with. So I guess that is something to really think about too, is when your child is having big emotions, what happened before? What were you asking them to, to do? Um, what, what might be leading up to this and, um, but, but still yet, yet they're going to have big emotions and that is okay because we get to have them. Every human gets to have them. They are part of being human and helping them figure out how to manage them. So they aren't starting a brawl in the grocery store aisle or cutting other people off in traffic to use my analogies again. Um, that's really important. And it's, then you can rely on that when we get to the topics our callers were bringing in, those tough situations mm-hmm. where the emotions are absolutely involved. 
Yeah. And it's, it, this is a lifelong process. We are like, like you said, Rachel, we're all still working on this. Managing big feelings is a human task. So we get the opportunity to model for our kids. When we remember to do so ourselves, we have the opportunity to model different ways of handling that. And it, it is slightly different for every person. I don't manage my big feelings the same way you do, Rachel. So getting to know yourself, learning how to do that. Um, we, we use the analogy of weather sometimes when we're training teachers. You, we, you create the weather in the classroom if you're the educator and in your home as the parent or caregiver, you create the weather. So you get to decide, is this going to be a big, huge, massive storm or is this going to be a few raindrops and we can move on mm -hmm. with our day? Yeah. You don't have complete control over that, but you you get to you get to create the atmosphere. You get to create the weather pattern. So, um, I want to dive into our into our questions. Um, yeah. Our first question is from a listener who asked about preparing for a new baby in their home. Let's listen to this question. I was wondering how can I best prepare my toddler for his new sibling? He's going to be three, and at the same time, we're expecting a new baby to join the family. And how can I get him ready for this big transition? I had a big flashback listening to this message because I can—I have three children, and I can very clearly remember how exciting it was um, expecting a second child to join our family. Um, it was also incredibly confusing <laughs> and a little mm -hmm. overwhelming. Um, and if I felt that way, I know that my oldest child certainly felt that way. They have no idea what it means that this, they, you try to explain it to them that there's a new baby coming, but, um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot for a child to, to process. Yeah. They're like those older children in the house. They're like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. I get to be a big sister, a big brother, or whatever. You're making it sound like this real pr big promotion. I'm going to have someone that I can boss around like I get bossed around all the time. They don't really understand what all this means. No one is saying to them like, hey, you're going to have to hand over everything and share everything, including the most important things in your life, the adults, the people, and you don't get to choose when you get to share. That's If we said it like that, they, I don't think they'd be as excited about this wearing their big sister t-shirt <laughs> that they no. that we get them prepped for. But I think, you know, it's hard. They have to, they do have to share everything and they have to redefine who they are. I remember one time I was with, when I had my second daughter and we were walking somewhere and my oldest said to me, I don't think that old man, we just passed a man and she, she in her words, she said, I don't think that man, old man likes children. And I said, why not? And he said, she said, well, cause he didn't say, oh, what a cute baby. And are you the big sister? And I just laughed so hard. I remember that cause she just heard that from so many people and she got relegated to the, and are you the big sister? And so it, that reminds oh, yeah. me of, you know, they just change roles. She didn't get the, oh, you're such a cutie anymore. She was like, the baby was getting the attention. Yep. That's, that's unfortunately how it goes for that older yes. sibling, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I did a lot of, so obviously reading was a really big deal in my house um, with my, so my oldest was about two years old when her younger brother came along. So reading was already something that we were doing every day because I, because I, was an educator, I knew how important that was. So I just started folding some books and some stories into our daily, we would have afternoon story time, we would have bedtime story time, we had a couple different reading times throughout the day in our routine. Um, so I just folded some books from the library, I purchased some books from our bookstore about this transition, they do exist out there. Um, I encourage this listener and anyone else going through this transition to lean into those stories. Um, 
you can buy, if you can find a book about that kind of reflects your current situation, that's great. You can also rely on this concept of social stories, which is something we use in our classrooms a lot when children are going through um, trying to learn a new task or learn a new routine, or there's a transition happening in the home. You can even make your own. So a social story is a really simple story that we use to really kind of break down what's mm-hmm. going on during a routine or a, ch- a, a transition in a child's life. And you can make your own. If you don't, if you don't see one at the library that reflects your family's situation, then that's okay. You can create your own social story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, that I relied on a lot of books at the same as you did about preparing for situations and what it really is going to be like and what they can expect. Because again, they don't have that experience to rely on. They don't understand the whole situation that's about to happen in their lives. But stories can help them do that. And they can see that through characters. Um, There's a lot of series that really tackle a lot of, um, I'm not endorsing any particular series, but I read a lot of Berenstain Bear books or Franklin the Turtle books about going to the hospital or new baby or they're, Mm -hmm. you know, those kind of stories. They're not great children's literature per se, but they do tackle those common issues. Um, and so you, again, you can use those and when kids can see it through a character's eyes, it feels a little safer and like, oh, okay, I see how this is all going to work out. And, oh, I have some of those same wonderings or questions. And then that social story, I mean, I've made a bunch of social stories where we just used our own pictures. We took pictures or we drew pictures. And so your child has a little connection and it's meaningful and it makes sense. And they go back to them. You can put that little book you've made in your own little home library and the children will choose those books a lot to go through that ritual and repetition of, okay, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen next. That's very comforting to them and reassuring. And it helps them process at the pace that makes sense for them. I completely agree. Keep, keep them, whatever book you pick, if it's your own or from a bookstore or library, keep it on a shelf or in a bin where your child can access it, your toddler, preschooler, or or however old your child is. Keep it somewhere mm-hmm. they can go back to it. And my my daughter would kind of I would find her curled up with it with her blanket, mm-hmm. and our the book that we relied on was um, about preparing for your sibling to arrive. And actually, the book I found had no words in it, so I got to create. It's kind of a, a hybrid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got yeah. to create. There were illustrations of a family putting a crib together, and then an illustration of um, a mother with a really big midsection drinking water out of a glass and kind of looking tired. And I was like, and this is the, this is the picture (laughs) about how hard mom's body is working right now (laughs) and why sometimes she needs to take a nap just like you, you know, you can make up whatever story you want, but um, my daughter really latched on to that. Um, Another great tip if you're welcoming a new child is to get your older sibling to be really involved in that prep. So if you are putting a new crib together, for example, have them sit on the floor and hand you the wrench or the screwdriver. Ask them, where do you think this part goes? Have them hold something steady while you're hammering it into place. Have them pick out the paint color for the, the baby's room. Mm-hmm. Um, ask them for their opinion. What books do you think your new baby brother or sister is going to want? It, and they, it just gives them some involvement, but it also gives them some control, right? Rachel is in a situation that they don't have a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know we're talking about this new baby situation, but these tips are relevant to any big life change a child might be having to. So giving, yeah, giving them some control, what can they be part of? And 
I think that things that they can be part of when the baby comes too. And so this is going to require you as the adult to have a little prep and patience too. So maybe they're going to be in charge of picking out the blanket each morning or um, helping pick out pajamas or whatever. And that might take a little extra time or you might not love their choice, but you have to kind of go with that. So find some things that you would be okay with that they can help with the prep and then be part of the care in an active way is they can get a lot of don't touch the baby don't hold their head like that don't do this oh that's for the baby that and so you want to find places that they're not going to hear that and that they are really have a role they have a job to do they have a reason for being there in that baby's life and they can contribute in a in a positive way i think the last two things we'll say here is that it's okay they're gonna have big feelings like naming and validating those feelings naming your own feelings modeling that narrating your feelings i'm i don't know what's gonna happen in our household i'm really curious about it i wonder what's gonna change are you wondering that too let's what do you wonder about just just go with those feelings let them be okay don't force your child or children mm -hmm. to be excited about a new baby again they don't get what this means so just work through those feelings and validate them and then Kind of like I was saying about giving the child some things or children some things to do when the baby gets there. Also find, if you don't have them already, you might have them already, is find some rituals that you can commit to keeping going. So maybe that yeah. story time yeah. at bedtime, doesn't matter how many children show up in the household, that's going <laughs> to happen. That is going to happen. Or pancakes on Saturdays or whatever it is that you have a couple rituals that that child can count on not changing. That will be really helpful when that baby does arrive. Yeah, that's a, such a great tip. And even even little rituals and routines on a daily basis that might even involve the new baby's care. You know, like mm -hmm. you're, you're, and you're, you know, your 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 new big sister job for my daughter was you get to pick out which diaper is going on this. So I had a basket of diapers, and it was her big responsibility to pick which one. They all looked the same. There was like a little bit of variety, but it was something that she could count on. She was involved yeah. in diaper. It was kind of a combination of all of our, all of our advice. Yeah, yeah, she gave yeah. her some control. She felt independent. She felt like she was helping and she could count on that because guess what? If there's one thing I can tell you is going to happen, there's going to be a lot of diapers. So she could, <laughs> there was a little ritual to that is that, oh, yeah. it's time to change his diaper. And she would get, she'd just get right in there. Okay, great. Let's do this. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of this. I'm involved. Yeah. It was, yeah. And it, was, it, and it just really validates them too. So, because you can say like, oh, it's frustrating that I always have to take a break from our playtime and, and, and change the baby. Or you can say, don't be so frustrated. The baby needs care or some versions of those, mm -hmm. or they can feel like, okay, good. I'm needed here. I have a role to play. So yeah. you have, you know, you can't avoid the diaper changing, but you have some pieces right. on how it can play out. Um, I want to move us to our next question, but again, it's in this theme of big emotions and helping a child with some tough questions, um, some things that are hard for the child to understand. So the second question is from a listener who is a solo parent and really wondering about how to an answer questions about the child is asking about their dad. So let's listen to that question. Hey there. My name is Mickey and I have a son and he's about 3.8 years old. Um, I'm the only parent, meaning that the father has um, not been a part of our lives since I was pregnant. 
So my question to you has a couple of parts, and I'm so happy that I ran along to your podcast because I don't typically listen to everything because I'm working like a crazy lady trying to support us. But um, my question is this. He's asking a lot of questions about where his dad is or does he have a daddy? And it's, you know, of course, it's heartbreaking, but also it's like, what do I say? Like, I want him to see me as like the strongest, which he does. He thinks I'm a superhero, but I just don't know what I'm supposed to say. So I have some personal experience with this one as anyone who listened to the solo parenting episode knows, but I would just say that, and again, personal, but also professional. And I got this help and learning from a lot of folks as well as just learn it from my own work in child development and education is to really work hard at separating your adult emotions from these questions. If you, especially now this caller specifically was calling about and having some emotion about this question. So some, People make the choice to be a solo parent, and that might be a different situation, although there might be emotion there too. We're not kind of, we're not adding our own thoughts or feelings about any of the situations, just responding to this particular parent. And I think separating your adult emotions from these questions your child is asking, because you might be going, oh, I wish that person was there. Why aren't they there? There might be a whole bunch of things about the relationship. You might be nervous or scared or worried or regretful or whatever you have. Your child doesn't have any of that going on when they're asking you this question. So just separate those two things as much as you can. And in fact, take a breath from the questions if you need to, so you can set yourself in the right place. And that's okay. That's okay to say things like, these are really important questions. Let's talk about them. I have a couple things to do and I want to give you my full attention. So let's talk about them at dinner tonight or whatever to buy you some time to again, hear them, validate them and buy you some time to get yourself in the right place where you know what you want to talk about. And they're going to ask these questions. Kids are just wondering, they're looking, they're at, they're asking all sorts of things. Why do I have straight hair? Why do I have curly hair? Why, why does that family have two moms? Why does this family have one dad, what it's just a question they're asking mm-hmm. and they see others they are really egocentric. So they're really going to wonder about what's going on in my life and um, why am I, why do I have something or why do I not have something? So just kind of look at it like that and know that they're going to ask these kinds of questions and, and give yourself some space to prepare and separate your emotions. Yeah. I love the advice of keeping, keeping your adult feelings about what might be a complicated situation to yourself mm-hmm. Really try to understand from your child's perspective that they are just trying to make sense of this big world that they're in. They probably don't mean to be, if you feel provoked or upset by their question, that is almost certainly not their intention. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to my advice from the previous uh, caller about books. Lean into some books. We are lucky to have access to books about all kinds of diverse families. I'm certain that you can find a book about a family that looks like yours, lean into that, make, make a social story. Your social story can involve photographs of every single adult in this child's life who loves them. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that you're not the only adult that this child has who cares for them. They can make a social story, little book with laminated photos of you, the both of you spending time together, any grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, their teachers, their educators, a babysitter, and whoever else is in your life. And these are all the adults who love you and think you're so special so that yeah. they, they know that every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see pick up all the grownups that love me book, you know, we have mm-hmm. a, all about me books. Kids really like to create those books of their familiar and special characters. I know when I go in classrooms, I see those 
toddlers and two-year-olds carrying their family photos around sometimes, or they want to show you their family. I have gone in classrooms where I've made good friends with the preschoolers, and I get a whole tour of everybody's family photos up, and they're just real proud of them. And it's and we uh, all adults should be validating all different kinds of families are special and important, and there's not one right way to have a family. So you can also point that out when you're out in public, you can say, look at that family. That family looks like maybe they have two moms. I bet everybody loves each other in that family and not make mm -hmm. a big deal about it. Just acknowledging the different variations of families. Oh, look at that family. There's a dad and maybe that's the grandma. I wonder, what do you think? That's what, that looks like a family that's having a lot of fun together. Just noticing differences and, and reflecting it in a really positive way versus any kind of a deficit way. If this is someone that was in your life at some point and there are positive memories, that those are the ones to share. Don't ask your child to take sides. Don't bash the father or the mother or the other parent. Just keep that to, part to yourself. You don't want them to have to feel bad about wanting to see that parent or know about that parent or that person from their lives. I always, you know, just sharing personally, that was really important to me that my kids knew that they came from love. They, that that wasn't missing from their lives. And so those are the stories I told them. They didn't need to hear some of those other stories. So I think, and that's really important for them because that's what they're looking for is the good, the good parts of this story. And then if you ask them what they want to know, that will really help you too. What are you wondering? Why are you wondering? What are you interested in finding out? Take your cue from them and that will lead to the right conversation. I think the last thing I'll say too is enlist your village. I, I know this caller even mentioned maybe doing some of that and we could not emphasize that more. Talk to your child's teachers, tell yeah. them what's yeah. going on. Just it's it requires some vulnerability, but it's so much better for your child if you can do that. Because then you have to navigate around all those days. You know, we celebrate Parents' Day a lot or special women in your life, including mothers on Mother's Day or special men in your life, including fathers on Father's Day, because it's important to be inclusive and make sure everybody knows that's okay. Or family tree projects in school can be a challenge with some of this. So just talking to those teachers. And if you even have the thought in your mind, should I get some help with this? Then yeah, you probably should. You know, that's not our expertise and that's not what we're here to advise you know, guide people down that road, but, you know, we'd send you to the medical doctor if you stubbed your toe and we'll just advocate for normalizing mental and emotional health support just as much as any other kind of support you need. So um, definitely do that. If you're feeling stress and anxiety, you're likely to pass that on. So you don't want to do that. And that can help you prevent that. Absolutely. Did you know that you can get the Teach Play Love brand of learning for your preschooler every day? The very people you trust for parenting advice are behind our Bright Horizons preschool program. Learning adventures that inspire kids to reach their unique potential. One-of-a-kind preschool for your one-of-a-kind kid. That's Bright Horizons. Enrollment is happening now. Visit brighthorizons.com to find a center near you. We'll take one more caller question today. Our last question is from a caller who talks about their child being defiant while being disciplined, even laughing and continuing the behavior after being asked not to. Let's take a listen to that one. This is Lauren from Newton, Massachusetts. And I would like to ask you, um, I have an almost three-year-old and I am wondering why when they're really naughty and throw things or just do not listen to what I tell them repeatedly, why do they just find it 
so funny um, and basically laugh in my face and continue not to listen to me. And even when I try to be more stern, um, they just find it funny and laugh at me and absolutely refuse to listen. It's so frustrating, and I just don't know what else to do about it. Um, I would love to hear any advice you can give me. Thanks so much. Oh man, that can get your heart racing, can it? If you're, if you're even with another, any other person, if you're in a, a debate and you're all fired up inside, and they just look at you and smile or laugh or, or it's like the a child version of like telling you to calm down. Oh, <laughs> I've, oh, I always say that to my husband. Has that ever worked? Has it ever made anyone feel more calm to be told to calm down? No, never oh, once. Right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that. Thanks so much for telling me. I should calm down. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we're we're laughing, but that really is the first thing to notice is if you have, you know, asked your, in this case, asked your child to stop doing something and they look at you and they continue doing it and they might even smirk or laugh, you're, it's hard to remember to do. We already talked about this today, but your, your first tactic is, are you feeling calm enough to respond right now? Mm-hmm. Are, if you meet that, that smirk, that laugh, that defiance with with anger, with an even bigger reaction, with even more strict authority, it really is likely to backfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're kind of meeting fire with fire there. So get yourself in a place that you can bring calm to the situation. Since that we've talked about this a little bit already, but the children don't need more chaotic feelings. They kind of swimming in those all day long. And what we have that they don't have is the ability to calm ourselves and regulate. And so we can kind of loan that out to them in these times of real challenge, especially when it feels really extra challenging for us. That smiling during, you know, sometimes they're misfiring. Like, I don't know, the smiling thing gets me a lot of good things in other places. Right now I'm in a lot of trouble. I hate this feeling. And maybe this is, you know, maybe this will work. Or maybe I can control my life a little bit this way. They don't know. They're trying to find some control in this situation. They might be trying to regulate you. They might be trying to regulate the parent a little bit. Um, they might be using the wrong emotion. I think in in this all, the other thing I'd say is this is a somewhat of a backhanded compliment from your child because it, if they can do this to you, it means they feel safe with you. And that is the most important part of anything that we do with with our children is make sure that we have strong attachments. And that's a, actually a pretty scientific word, meaning they feel we are consistent, reliable, unconditional love will come from us, no matter what, no matter what. And in this moment, that's being tested a little bit. And they need to, one, know it's still true. It's still true, no matter what you're doing. If you're looking me right in the eye and, and laughing, I still love you. And because they know that, they're willing to test it a little bit and push and, and, and try to find the control in the situation. So there's like an opportunity and a weird compliment in all of this. I used to say that like when my parent, my kids would say like, I hate you, you're the worst. I'd be like, okay, thank you. That means I'm doing a good job, <laughs> which is so hard to say. <laughs> I, that was my own humor to get myself through those situations. But um, I think that's, you know, it's just, it, that's a tricky one. And just the calm and recognizing the opportunity in that moment is really important. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's worth saying it doesn't mean that you have to go back on the expectation. Okay. So we talk about this a lot, this kind of parenting where it's, it's 50, 50, 
holding the boundary, holding that limit, limit. You, you, if you said, don't, you know, don't put your finger in the dog bowl, for example, but I could, like, that's a pretty innocuous one, but this goes all the way up to don't throw a block at the baby's head, like something that could be hazardous or dangerous. You, you're not, we're not saying go back on that boundary or expectation. You're going to hold your boundary, but you're mm-hmm. going to take the fieriness, that anger, that, and it's so hard to do. Right. What I'm asking you all to do is so difficult because you have been triggered, right? By you have, you've set a boundary, your child's looking at you, they're smirking, they're smiling, and they're going to put that finger right back in the dog bowl. It feels so disrespectful, right? right? right. But everything you said is right, Rachel. They are working through a big, hot, jumbly, messy, sloppy mess of feelings. And they are going to test it. They're, they're little scientists. Well, let, let me just see what's going to happen this time. Maybe if I smile, I put my finger back in the dog bowl. Maybe that, you know, you don't have to say, we're not asking you to say, yeah, that's fine. Play in the dog bowl. No, that's, that's kind of gross. So you're going to, no, you're still going to hold your boundary, right. but you're just going to try to take some of that um, anger, that rage out of the situation mm-hmm. and respond yeah. with calmness. Remember what I said at the beginning, you create the weather in this situation. So you've got to still hold your boundary but meet that chaos with some calm. Yeah, yeah. And you can, this is that narrating your feelings too. I feel like we say this in every episode. It's, a, it's just, a, it's like the best tool you can have. It's just, you say like, I'm feeling really frustrated because I've asked you not to use crayons on the wall. And I'm, and now I just found you using crayons on the wall. I'm sure you're frustrated too, because, you know, fill in the blank, because you can see that I'm, getting a little bit upset. So let's figure this out together. What can we do? And just kind of find a way to come to a solution and a learning opportunity and hold those boundaries. This can't happen because, and and repeat that before, during, and after. So after the moment's over, the reason you can't throw blocks right where the baby is playing is this. This is dangerous. And this is why, you know, obviously if you use this language, that that makes sense for your whatever age child you have, but then you can call back to that. I even had my kids sometimes like, what do you think should happen? If, if that happens again, if you make a mistake and you're drawing on the wall with crayons again, what should we happen? I mean, kids can be hard on themselves. I remember my kids sometimes would have like really severe consequences. I'm like, well, we don't have to go that far. Like take my crayons away forever. But like, how about just for a day we set them aside or something. So you can even get them involved in it or, yeah. um, you know, pieces of it. So it just is a natural consequence. It's an expected consequence. And then they really learn from this. And then you're going to reduce the amount of times this happens. I mean, this is going to come back in their teen years. This this kind of defiance is, is, is part of learning who you are, where the boundaries of life are, where you get to control things and make decisions. That's healthy. And again, they can do it when they know that they're unconditionally loved. So just take all the deep breaths you need and and know that this is a, actually helping them build some really important skills as hard as it is. And give yourself some grace. You're, get, you're definitely going to get this wrong a couple of times. I shouldn't even say wrong. You're going you're gonna to not be the best self that you want to be. And you're going to walk away and go, dang it, I cut that person off in traffic again or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever analogy <laughs> makes sense for you. But I will try again next time and, I, and you know, kind of reconnect, making sure you're reconnecting with your children and, and that you used all these big emotion times to, because we're talking about tough, big emotions, to also validate and share those big, happy, positive emotions too. And that they really are what you're spending the, the majority of your time on with your child. 
This episode was so great, Rachel. I love that we got to actually hear the voices of our listeners and we got to hear them talking about their favorite people, their kids. Yes. Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to more caller and emailer emailer, right? Is that what you would call them? Email correspondent questions, whatever we call those folks. Um, But just listeners to share with us their ups and downs of parenting. I think, I hope it helps all of you hear from each other too, not just from Claire and I, but hear about the ups and downs of parenting. And we'll pepper in that little developmental science with hopefully some reality as well. So parenting can be positive and pleasant and just full of possibilities, no matter what's going on with it. As Rachel and Claire said, whether you're preparing for a new baby, answering complicated questions, or encountering defiance from a toddler, it's important to give yourself grace. Guiding your children through these moments will not only help them build resilience and understanding, but will ensure they know you're there for them no matter how tricky life may get. Get parenting advice from Rachel and Claire. You can leave them a voicemail by calling 617-673-8881 and your question may be answered in a future episode of Teach Play Love. You can also send them an email at teach.playlove at brighthorizons.com. For more expert guidance on early childhood development, check out our family resources at brighthorizons.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time on Teach, Play, Love. And discover parenting as the joy it was meant to be.